like the giants that uh, hindered and stood in the way of God's people, Israel, we too face giants that are standing in the way of God's best for you and I. Today, we call them bullies. We got bullies, friends, but they're the same old giants that have intimidated God's people for centuries. But God wants us to face our giants and take hold of the promises that he's given to us. So, which giant is bullying you? Is it the giant of fear? Of discouragement? Is it the giant of loneliness? The giant of worry? Could it be the giant of guilt? Or the giant of temptation? Could it be anger or doubt? Or maybe even past failure? Whatever giant is giving you grief, the Bible wants you to know this. Your God is bigger. He's bigger than any giant you face. Now, we began with the most deadly of giants, which is that giant of fear. And the Bible pointed out five reasons why fear is so detrimental to our relationship with God. One, fear disregards God's plan. Two, fear distorts God's purposes. Three, fear discourages God's people. Four, fear disbelieves God's promises. And five, fear disobeys God's principles. We cannot let irrational fear keep us from God's best in our life. Now today, we're going to face another giant. Today, we face a giant that defeats even the strongest of some of God's servants. And that giant is discouragement. Have you ever said... I don't know how much more of this I can take. If you've said that, raise your hand. <laughs> Amen. I'm with you, baby. I'm with you. How much more of this can I take? Well, I wonder how much disappointment, how much despair, how much depression can we take? How do you go about measuring discouragement and disappointment is your uh, discouragement threshold greater than mine we don't know but one thing I think you'd be surprised at is you'd be very surprised at how much you can take take the case of a man named Lawrence Hanratty Lawrence Hanratty was titled the unluckiest man in all of New York City. This poor guy was nearly electrocuted to death in a construction accident. For weeks he laid in a coma while his team of lawyers fought his liability claim until one of his lawyers got disbarred and the other two lawyers died. And then Hanratty's wife ran off with her lawyer. After his recovery, Hanratty lost his car in a terrible crash, 
and after the police left the scene, a bunch of thugs came up and robbed him after the accident. Then his insurance company fought to avoid paying the claim. His landlord tried to evict him. He suffered from depression. He required oxygen to breathe. And he took 42 pills a day for various liver and heart ailments. When Lawrence was interviewed, he summed up his life by saying, there's always hope. How in the world do you talk about hope after a string of calamities like that? Would you be able to focus on the positives if the negatives were banging you over the head all the time? We know there's always hope, but sometimes we get discouraged in the waiting. In the waiting. Now, the Bible translates discourage as losing heart. Losing heart. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote, Therefore, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy, let us not lose heart. Don't get discouraged. To the Ephesians, he wrote, Do not lose heart. Don't get discouraged at my tribulations that I'm going through for you. Even Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, that men always ought to pray so that they won't lose heart. Now, in that probably is one of our greatest keys. The way to avoid discouragement certainly begins with prayer. But just like O'Hanwrighty said, there's always, always hope. Now, one of the greatest biblical examples comes from the book of Nehemiah, who is known as the rebuilder of dreams from the rubble of discouragement. After years of captivity, the Persian ruler Cyrus has granted permission to to, uh, Nehemiah to take God's people back to their homeland. They... uh, They get there, they arrive in their homeland, they go straight to the capital city of Jerusalem, and they find the entire city is in utter ruins. Immediately, they begin rebuilding. Immediately, they begin rebuilding, but there are enemies around, and these enemies, the Bible says, have conspired. They have conspired together to stop the rebuilding process. They are constantly raiding. They are constantly attacking. They are constantly threatening God's people as they are trying to rebuild their dreams. But the greatest weapon of the enemy was not the raiding, was not the attacking. The greatest weapon the enemy had was discouragement. But God has different ideas. God has different ideas. It seems that he has empowered and encouraged Nehemiah in a mighty way. And day by day, brick by brick, the walls are rising around Jerusalem again. And as we begin here in chapter 4, we find that the wall is halfway complete. But it's here at the halfway point. 
at the halfway point of the job that a fresh new wave of discouragement sets in and Nehemiah realizes that God's people are losing heart. They're getting discouraged. So as we read this this morning, I want you to see that Nehemiah had to defeat discouragement the same way that you and I have to destroy discouragement. So let's read in Nehemiah chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 1. But so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant, and he mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? They don't have any army. Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete this job in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he asked, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they are, have provoked you to anger before the builders. And so we built the wall. And the entire wall has been joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. God's people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that the gaps were beginning to close, that they became very angry. And they all conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told them ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will always be upon us. In that passage, I think that we can find out how Nehemiah handled discouragement and thereby also discover how you and I can handle discouragement. When Nehemiah faced this giant, and it was a big one, amen? It was a big giant. He handled this giant in two phases, and we'd be wise to do the same. The first thing that Nehemiah did was he recognized the discouragement. Then he responded to the discouragement. So today we're going to focus on the first one. Recognizing discouragement. Factor one in recognizing discouragement 
is fatigue. Fatigue. The great coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, once said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. The wall builders found that to be true. Did you hear what they said in verse 10? The strength of the laborers is failing. They were fatigued. About a month into the project, supposed to be 52 days to complete it, about a month in, fatigue was catching up with the workers. Can I tell you that when your energy runs short, so will your courage. When energy runs short, so will your courage. Haven't you experienced that before? How many of you folks have worked seven twelves for an ongoing period of time, even had to work weekends? Or maybe um, you've been cleaning house all day every day, You've been chasing little ones around the house. You've got to help the teenagers with their homework until all hours of the night. And every night you go to bed, you are just absolutely zapped, exhausted with fatigue. For a while, you rock along. You rock along and you're doing what you think you just got to do. I just got to work 712. I just got to keep this pace up. You're doing what you got to do. But sooner or later, your personal limits will catch up with you. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. When you exceed your personal limits, you will, say will, you will begin to crack. What does it look like when you crack? <laughs> For some of you, it's really ugly, amen? Uh, for me, it's uglier, amen? Uh, you know, when, when I exceed my personal limits, I start to get really tense. I start to stress out. I start to get really ill. You know, I never knew that was a, a word in that context until I moved here. But you can get really ill when you start getting fatigued, amen? Uh, you get really ill. You start getting gloomy. And that's when the enemy takes out his pen and circles your name on his agenda. I'm coming after her. She's fatigued. I'll get him. He's wore out. His defenses are down. But hopefully as you grow older and as you grow wiser, you will begin to realize that you cannot push yourself as hard as you once did. Eventually, you're going to have to come to the place where you realize something's got to be done. But you say, what am I going to do? The work has got to get done. The jobs have got to be complete. It's got to happen. i got to do it. What do I do? We need to learn the importance of pacing ourselves. Learn the importance of building a little bit of downtime in your life. Because if you don't, you're going to crack. And the enemy's coming after you. Otherwise, if you don't pace yourself, you're going to push too hard, you're going to push too long, and you're going to start producing less and less 
and less. And then you are going to drown in discouragement. That's what happened in Jerusalem. That's exactly what happened. The people got weary. And after they got weary, they started getting real discouraged. But there was another thing. There was factor two in recognizing discouragement, and that was frustration. How many of you have been really frustrated before? Amen. We've all been there. The first part of verse 10 says, Judah complained that the strength of the workers is failing. But then he continues and he says, there's so much rubbish. We can't build the wall. Have you ever worked diligently for days and weeks at the time? You've focused all your efforts on details to make sure the job is complete and then you step back and you wonder, what has all this work been for? I cannot even see the work that I've been doing. See, when the Israelites first got home, their hopes and dreams were uh, putting forth a vision of a spectacular new wall surrounding the city. But now, halfway into the job, all they could see was this ever-present pile of rubbish. These mounds and mounds and mounds of brick and stone and debris. But have you ever noticed how ugly a construction site can be? I mean, if it weren't for the sign in front of the construction site with a picture of the building finished, man, the workers would get so discouraged. The frustration of these endless mountains of rubble was weighing on Nehemiah's people. They'd work until they nearly collapsed. And then they'd come at sunup the very next morning, and it looked like nothing had been done. What was happening? They were suffering from burnout. Now, I've read that there are three ways that you can live life. You can live out, you can wear out, or you can burn out. I like the living out part. Amen? But burnout is real. Burnout is real. However, burnout doesn't mean that you're working too hard. Burnout means that you're working too hard on the wrong thing. And God's people do it all the time. Many believers are working with all their might. They're working with all their effort. They're working with all their time. They're pouring all their resources into temporary things of this earth. See, we are called to pour our lives into things that have Eternal, say eternal. Eternal significance. And if you're pouring all your resources, all your energy and time and thoughts into these temporary things here on earth, then you don't have anything left over for the things of eternal 
significant. If you will do that, if you will focus on pouring your energy and efforts into things of eternal significance, you will avoid a life of frustration and thereby avoid discouragement. Now, there was a third factor in recognizing discouragement, and the third factor was failure. You heard it there in verse 10. The strength of the laborers is failing, fatigue. And there is so much rubbish, frustration, that we are not able to build the wall. Failure. Failure. See, at some point, the Israelites just threw up their hands and they said, we're fed up. We've had it. We can't do this. Nehemiah, it was a great idea. It was a great idea to build this, this wall, but we've been at it for a month now, and we can't take this anymore. You ever said that before? I can't take it anymore. My mama used to say that to me all the time. I can't take it anymore. Now I know why. Fatigue plus frustration equals failure. Fatigue plus frustration equals failure. But everyone in the course of human history, except for one 2,000 years ago, has experienced failure. What makes the difference in failure is how we handle it. How do we handle failure? See, there's great danger, friend, in listening to those voices in your mind. There is great danger in listening to the voices of other people telling you that you're a failure. Everyone fails. But when things go wrong, we're often a lot more willing to give ear to the enemy. And the enemy wants you to believe that you are a failure. You can't do God's work. You can't save the entire world. You're a failure, the enemy says. But let me tell you what God says. God says, when you're weak, then I am strong. And I never fail. If you'll do what you're supposed to do, God will do what he's supposed to do. Things of eternal significance. Now there is a fourth factor to recognizing discouragement and it is fear. Listen to verse 11. And our adversaries, the enemy said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. Man, I know I've already mentioned fear uh, and about how it, it, it hinders our relationship with God. But fear has a lot to do with discouragement as well. Just imagine for a second. These weary workers amidst the piles of rubbish. I mean, the job itself was bad enough. But the enemies, the enemies were shouting, Hey guys! We got some surprises for you. You don't know when and you don't know how, but we're coming. 
and we're coming to kill you. Those voices of our enemies. You see, nothing derails the work of God's people like a negative word. That's why mama said, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Imagine this. If you've ever attempted to do the Lord's work, you know what I'm talking about. Say you're prayed up. Man, you're planned up. You're trained up in God's kingdom work. And then some negative words come and you get fed up. You've had it. It seems the enemy knows just when to send a negative word your way. Sometimes it comes in your own thoughts. Sometimes it comes from somebody else. Imagine you're regaining your momentum in the kingdom work of God. You're moving forward with God's kingdom work again, and then some venomous words spew out from that snake in the grass. tempted to say, oh, that's how everybody feels. That's how everybody looks on me. That's what everybody thinks of the work I'm doing. I guess I'm just going to turn in my Bible and quit. All because of what some snake in the grass said. See, negative criticism can be absolutely deadly. Deadly. And maybe you're dealing with it right now. Maybe you're dealing with negative words at work. Maybe you're dealing with negative words at home. Maybe you're dealing with negative words right here at church. Whatever the case is, I want to encourage you not to let the enemy discourage you. By playing on your fear that you're not good enough. If God has called you to it, he's going to empower you to get you through it. He has chosen you. You are the select person of God. Don't let any human being discourage you from doing the work of God. Because God says, when you're weak, then I am strong. And friend, when I'm in charge, you don't have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. And you know, that's never more true than when the issue of eternal life comes to light. Without Christ, we should be discouraged. We are so weakened by sin that by ourselves, you know how much hope we got? you got no hope without Christ. But in the strength of God, Jesus stepped into humanity to break the bond of sin in your life. Now, it cost him his life. But Jesus knew that the Father would gloriously raise him from the grave to defeat sin and death once and for all. And this is his promise to you. If you 
will wholeheartedly accept Jesus as the Savior of your life from sin. If you will wholeheartedly accept Jesus to be Lord of the rest of your life, He's the boss from here on out. If you'll believe that He died for you to spare you from sin and from hell, the Bible says that you then can experience life in heaven serving God for all eternity. That's the promise of Scripture. It's the promise of God's Word. And that's the only way you're going to be able to avoid discouragement.